Business is a value exchange. You charge money for the things other people value. But why do so many people get stuck in a cycle of undercharging? This week, my guest is Paul Klein. Paul focuses on helping contractors, creatives, consultants, and experts of all kinds charge what they're worth. He's not only going to share his business journey with us, but also a simple process which anyone can use to move from competitive hourly billing to a magical place where you can actually have a choice and have the ability to say no. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every Monday I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second right now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and you can grab some older ones when you're done with this one. Don't forget to join our Facebook group. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Paul. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome Paul Klein to the podcast. Paul's a friend of a friend of the show. Lauren Davies, who's been on the show twice, was very insistent that I have Paul on the podcast. So I'm very, very excited to welcome him. Paul runs a podcast called Pricing is Positioning. And I know that's something everyone's going to want to talk about. So, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, most excitingly, and the kind of work you do? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Bob. I'm uh, honored to be here, and I'm coming from uh, Monterey, California, so I'm excited to have a little conversation. But um, yeah, I'm from the United States in California here, and and uh, just uh, you know doing the freelance solopreneur, uh, building that six or seven figure small that we're all after. Um, and uh, started uh, early on. I mean, I, I'm about ten years ago. I was uh, had that you know, dreaded day job, you know, was making, um, you know, $150,000 a year with full benefits, three kids, wife and a mortgage, everything's perfect in my hometown with a very small commute and just was unhappy and just not, you know, not fulfilled. And it wasn't, didn't take long to figure out that I was a entrepreneur stuck in a bureaucracy. (laughs) And so instead of uh, looking around, blaming the system, blaming my employer, I started looking inward at what I was wired for. And clearly the uh, thought of having my own business, my own freelance business, uh, where I was working uh, my life um, around my business and not, I mean, <laughs> my my uh, business around my life, not my life around my business or my job. And uh, so, yeah, it was the heat. Of, it was 2009. If you remember, it was, it was very um, challenging time here in the States with the economy and so forth. Um, we had just gone through a stock market crash. Jobs were starting to go down and, you know, the economy was coming to a halt uh, with the mortgage crisis and everything else. And here I was going, quitting my job and going out on my own. And it was funny because my wife, my wife was like, okay, I understand you're not happy. I support what you're going to do. I believe in you, but just don't tell me when you quit your job. And so she, <laughs> she, uh, she, she won one weekend. She's, uh, she's like, yeah, can you pick up the kids on Monday after you get off work? You know, cause I've got an appointment I need to go to. Can you check and make sure you can get off early? I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I can get off early as I want. I'm working for myself now. And she's like, no. And uh, anyway, so from that point on, uh, we were uh, W9K1 uh, all the way, which in the States is mean you are not an employee anymore. And you uh, 
you go out and leave the cave every day and kill something and bring it home. Uh, so no longer are you, um, you know, you no longer you have the security of a, a regular day job, but you have the freedoms that come along with it. So started um, basically three businesses since then. Um, I went to work in my primary consultancy, working with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, mom and pops. Um, you know, a lot of my clients are from Target to Yum Brands to Cracker Barrel. Uh, had an opportunity to work with Apple at one time and. Uh, that didn't work out. That's another story for another time. But uh, worked with a lot of those larger companies, and then uh, went pivoted from there in '16. Created a SaaS company around that expertise, which is still going, and I'm still a shareholder in that company. And then uh, in 2018, I pivoted again into my personal brand, which is uh, what I'm here uh, to talk about, and that is helping people with their pricing, encouraging people to take that step and make that pivot like I did 10 years ago, and I know you did, Bob, um, and uh, you know, just understanding the freedom that comes along with that and just really encouraging people to do so. How did you come to decide that the personal brand, the thing you were gonna invest in, was going to be pricing because I remember I went to a conference and Hal Elrod was talking and one of the things he said is when you build a personal brand it's a little bit like climbing a ladder it's a very hard ladder to climb and you better make sure when you get to the top of that ladder you had the ladder against the wrong the right wall and pricing is your wall and I'm keen to understand why you picked that yeah, I one thing I really enjoy is I was, you know, I, I teach business. I'm like, I consider myself a business consultant first or someone who teaches people how to make the pivot and go into consulting. But I found through doing that that so many people struggle with pricing. And it always seems to um, be an area that I was helping people. Even before I went into the embarked on my personal brand in, in May of 2018, I was always preaching to people man you're char you're not charging enough you need to charge more it's like well how do i do that well here think about this and think about this strategy and have you tried retainers oh i never even heard of a retainer how does that work so i was always finding myself teaching people that anyway and so um and then what i what i started doing is doing like we all do reading up on different books from you know blair ends to ron baker to alan weiss you know all the great um pricing books out there william poundstone and then i started realizing man a lot of the stuff I've been doing for the last 10 years in my consultancy are there's actually like science behind it behavioral economics there's there's a reason why that works <laughs> and so it all just kind of came together and and uh and that's why I launched my podcast um almost a year and a half ago now uh called pricing is positioning just to help just talk about pricing bringing on great guests and helping people that because i think one of the the biggest problems when we're out as a solopreneur small business or a micro business as you you call it bob is that we undervalue our services we we see okay this this highly sought after skill comes easy to me but it, it must not be very valuable because it's easy for me to do so I, therefore it must not be very valuable and that's what a lot of us end up tending doing is we undervalue that service or that expertise um, and and we we just we turn ourselves into a commodity and then we sit around and wonder man why isn't this working why isn't that, why can't they get those higher rates and so I really like encouraging people I kind of feel like that's my sweet spot to help people see their true value get past those roadblocks and really uh, charge what they're worth and um, and get those get those higher rates that we all deserve and at the same time create that win-win for your client and for um, and for your business I think something that's always troubled me a little bit is 
business is a value exchange. I have some value. There's a guy over there that needs it. My job is to get the value from me to them. Mm -hmm. And if I can get the value to the person who needs it the most, I can charge a premium. And that sounds very easy. But a lot of people, I often use this analogy that if I walk into McDonald's and I meet Yoda behind, he's flipping burgers, and I start talking to Yoda, and here's this incredible value. And you think, Yoda, I really want to work with you. And Yoda says, sorry, dude, I just flipped burgers. That for me is a little bit like when the value exchange is just completely misaligned. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not selling the right thing in the right place. And a lot of people are not really connecting their unique value to the people who need it most. They're connecting their unique value to the people who are right in front of them rather than the people who really need it. What advice would you have people for people to help them connect their unique value to those people who need it most rather than the people they sell because it's easier or because it's what they've always done, which is often the worst? Yeah, that's that's one of the hardest things to do is the trick is, you know, is selling to the people that value what you do. And as you mentioned, so often we get trapped into you know, just selling to the people that are right in front of us. And, and it just, you know, it just does, it's not, it's not a the right fit. You're, you're at a, uh, you know, you're at a, a, a oh, it's a, what's analogy. You're at a, a, a baseball park trying to sell ba basketballs. You know, everybody's there to play baseball yeah. and uh, you've got, you're selling basketballs. And so, yeah, you sell a few, uh, but man, if you get over to the court where LeBron's playing, everybody's going to be buying basketball. So it's, 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 it all goes back to f uh, finding your ideal avatar client, you know, and, and being really um, specific and niching down. And that's, that's how I was able to build my, you know, six and seven figure businesses is, is niching down. I mean, micro niche, I mean, really down to a, to a specific problem and issue. And then what, what that does is it makes it really clear who your audience is. And so you're, you're that person selling basketballs at a basketball game or a, or a rec, rec league with a bunch of kids and, and you're in the right place. And so, you know, and I think one of the other problems that a lot of people do is, is they want to be generalists. You know, they want to serve everybody. You know, I know we've all heard this before, but you really do have to niche down and really be very specific on who it is. You know, don't just say you're a digital marketing consultant. I mean, say you're a digital marketing consultant for restaurants um, with franchisees that serve um, with, with less than 50 sites or less than 50 restaurants. You know, I mean, be very, very specific, and that will really help you find the, the right customers uh, to meet your, your products and services. I think for a lot of people, that specialization, that process of exclusion actually is terrifying. Um, what kind of process can people go through to maybe ease themselves into that rather than so from one day to the next saying I just do digital marketing for florists which is probably a bad choice because they have never got any money <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's got to cross the pass. It's a personal decision of, you know, and it depends on where you're at in your business. Are, are you just needing to pay the bills and keep the lights on? Or are you in a pivot stage where you have some runway financially and can, you know, do some different market segments? So it just really depends on, on where you are 
you know, structurally in your business, um, you know, it's very different. You know, a lot of times you have stability in one vertical, um, you know, which, which will provide you the financial means to start making a pivot into another segment. And so that's what I've done a lot of is I've tested those other uh, market segments uh, with what I think will work, what I think I'll like doing, you know, without having to be dependent on it, putting my um, you know, food on the table for my family. So it's very, so that's very much different for somebody who just lost their job due to COVID, who's starting a new spin up, you know, and then, you know, next month, uh, rents due or, or the mortgage payments due. So, you know, sometimes in those cases, when you are in that, you, you really have to, you have to go where the work is. I mean, you have to pay the bills, you got to get the next job. And, and that, that doesn't put you in a position to, to raise your rates, but that, and that's okay. Sometimes you have to do that for a season of life in business or a season, uh, to, to just, you know, to get some runway in your, you know, financial capability and so forth. But ideally what you can do is once you get your finances stabilized or you have enough residual income built up in one vertical, then start looking at those other segments, you know, to pivot into. And then, um, you know, that's how you, you ramp up the value ladder and, um, you know, start getting those higher rates. Another thing that I see quite often is people, when it comes to their own marketing, largely have a very old fashioned mindset. And that's, it goes something like this. Well, I do business in my city. My city is fairly small, so I can't really specialize because there aren't really enough businesses in any one niche niche for me to to survive. What is it that you find unlocks that? Boy, I you know, it's it's all I know is that it's true. <laughs> you know, you you see businesses all the time that once they open up the doors, you just have to recognize, man, we are in the, you know, global economy and, and the knowledge economy. And it's so vast. It's so much more than just your small town or your area. And if, you know, with, with technology, technology has just blown up the doors. I mean, we are, we are having monumental changes in the way organizations, everything is doing businesses. And so if you become that go-to person in that vertical or in your niche, you know, you're not limited to, 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 to the people in your direct area. Now, sometimes you, you make a widget or you install a widget, you know, physically, um, in, you know, like if you're a plumbing contractor or, a, you know, or some, or a florist, you know, that's doing delivery or something like that in a, in an area. And I get that when you're dealing with physical products, but if you can pivot your, even if you're doing physical products or physical services, gutter cleaning or whatever it might be, um, you know, mowing lawns or uh, interior designer where you're actually physically on sites, you can take that knowledge and that expertise that you have and digitize it. And now you've just opened up a whole nother market. And that's what I teach in my three pillars of revenue. So my, my original consultancy that I did was very much, that's why I'm here in Laguna Seca. That's is my client right now this week. So I'm working with them um, and it's a, and I have to physically be here, but I have a whole nother side of my business that I've digitized that expertise. And, and now it opens up, it opens up 
people all over the world, all over the United States, and and it um, allows me to, and it can allow you when you do this to have another pillar of revenue. So you have your consulting revenue, uh, which might be your products and services. Then you have a digital products and services revenue where you're getting paid more for your expertise. This could be coaching, um, masterminds, digital products, te- uh, checklists, things like that that are around your niche that people will buy. So even though you might be serving physically in one area, don't be afraid to digitize that expertise and offer it to everybody because there might be somebody over in the States for you or in Scotland that wants to download that checklist because it'll help them with their particular problem at that moment. And so there's three pillars. If you just maybe break them down for me again very very quickly yeah real quick so the the first pillar is obviously your main consulting that's your one-on-one high level done for you practices and and so forth that that takes a lot of your time intensive that's that's your high dollar consulting then you want to have what I call an online resources and guides that's your that's your digital footprint your web page where you have lead magnets online courses um, productized services that people can buy from you that don't take your direct involvement then the third one is having a comprehensive training and education program and this is uh, or or what you could also call this a speaking area I don't call it speaking because some people are afraid of speaking so that's why I say training and education and this is where you go out in either workshops or conferences or you know, in industry um, annual business meetings, and you speak about that specific niche product or um, area that you that you um, specialize in. So again, if you're a if you're a digital marketer, you know it'd be great to be talking at a digital marketing summit or something like that. If you're a uh, uh, you know, if you're a, uh, a consultant for um, leadership management, you know, then you want to go to the leadership conferences and speak at those because those all those three pillars work together um, in creating uh, a, a great a revenue source for you. Because uh, as you know, with consulting, Bob, <laughs> you know, it's feast or famine. You'll get really busy mm-hmm. and then it'll die down. But if you have these other two pillars in place, they can really round out that um, revenue source for you. That makes sense. I really like those three pillars. Um, I just wasn't sure if I'd missed one because you went through consulting and digital products and then we didn't get to the training, education, speaking bit. But that makes a lot of sense. And certainly I can see how virtually everybody could apply that. Yeah. And, and actually, a lot of people are just very busy, very low down the consulting value ladder and they haven't really built out these other two at all. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's and that's that's how you grow and and you 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 get that stable income and and it also allows you um, to be able to create what I call a yes no value ladder. So what happens is if you just stay in the consulting, um, uh, what what do I call that? The the consulting uh, pillar you're just going to kind of stay there like you're saying but when you have these other two in place now what happens because you have additional income coming in when those other clients come in now you can start to bid those those products i mean those um client engagements a little higher when you're really that's why i say never turn down work (laughs) what happens is you get you get your your revenue balanced out and then as you start getting very busy never say no to a job that's when you're when you're so busy that you're turning work away, rather than turning a, uh, away, price them to no, and that's what I say is price price them to no. This allows you to step up 
over time. Uh, when you're really busy, you're, you're, you're really putting high bids and really increasing your rates. And then when it starts to get a little lean again, then you kind of flatten out just like a stairway. Maybe you flatten out for a while, then it gets busy again. Instead of turning work away, we, we price them to know. We climb that ladder and you slowly go up that value ladder um, using that yes, no pricing. But in order to do that, you got to have those other two revenue sources in uh, complementing your consulting and they all work together uh, to create a, a very good um, you know, marketing growth cycle for you and revenue source. There's a strange feeling in my eyes that feels like tears. Yeah. Uh, I really like that. <laughs> um, you kind of answered my next question, which was, uh, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. And how to do that climbing up, up the value ladder. And with that yes, no pricing, leveraging those other two pillars. That's really sweet. I really like that. Yeah. Um, it's one of the simplest explanations I've ever heard. And I've made notes and I'm so happy I made notes. Anybody listening, you need to go back and write that down. Where I would like to go next is people often pick really bad markets to operate in. And if you're in a bad market, it, and by, by that I mean, if people aren't accustomed to spending money in the niche you've chosen, you possibly are in the wrong niche. Um, what are maybe some signs that you're in a market that's going to make it very difficult for you to price well? Well, I mean, you know, if if, if you are in a market that uh, you, some people are called to serve single women that were either divorced or abused or whatever, you know, and, and that's, that's their calling to serve the single women with three kids or whatever, single moms, you know, raising kids that have dad passed away, whatever bad situation, but they're by themselves. Well, that, that market is very tough for most single moms because raising kids on your own as a sole person with um, various different challenges, <laughs> you know, not only having, it's hard enough with two, two parents. I don't know how I would have done it without my wife. <laughs> and uh, although she would probably argue I could have done it without, without me, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, uh, cause sometimes I wasn't as helpful as I probably should have been. But what I'm trying to get at is if you're, if your market is single women who don't have a lot of money, you have to look at different ways. If that's your calling, you have to look at different ways to serve them. Don't try to force a round, um, you know, a square peg in a round hole, so to speak, you know, because they don't have a lot of money. That vertical or that market segment doesn't have a lot of money to spend. So what you have to do is look at, okay, well, how can I serve them? They can't afford my one-on-one -on -one coaching. You know, yeah, I'd love to charge them $10,000 for my one-on-one -on coaching, but who, what most single moms, there are several, I'm sure, that are professional attorneys and executives. There probably is some segment for that, but I'd say the vast majority of single moms, at least where I live and in America, my guess is that they probably wouldn't be able to afford a $10,000 coaching package with you. But going to my three pillars of revenue, there probably is a productized service um, that would be on your, uh, uh, what I call the digital products, a, a checklist on how to help moms eat right or prepare meals, whatever it is in that vertical. And it doesn't have to be single moms. You can apply the same analogy to any vertical, but look for other ways to serve that uh, market segment, but in a way that doesn't take all your one-on-one -on -one time. Because the more things 
the more products and services that you have that take your time, take you away from doing other things. So you, you don't want to be running around doing things that are high intense time sucks for you, uh, you know, that don't give you the return or the, or the rates that you want. You got to turn those into productized services. So that's, that's where you want to push that market segment to. And because Alan Weiss said it best, you know, the, the true wealth is discretionary time. And so what you want to do is serve those segments with products and services that don't take all your one-on-one -on -one time because they just, they just, you just don't, they just don't have the means to pay for it. And then you've got to pivot to something else that can, you know, maybe you do target the, the single moms that are running a, uh, you know, a fortune 500 company or a, a company, you know, with, you know, a billion dollars in revenue or something, <laughs> you know, so you just gotta, you gotta look for those, those different opportunities at that point. I really like that. I think something I want to ask next is when we talk about the value ladder and the sales funnel, they're often quite interchangeable. I see a lot of people have got very poorly monetized sales funnels. And by that, I mean, you need an awful lot of action at the top of the funnel to see anything of value coming out the bottom. Using your three pillars there, you actually have the potential to monetize everybody that's in the sales funnel, which is really, really nice. But when we come to the consulting stream, that really is effectively trading time for money. And you mentioned the sort of yes, no pricing there. And I'm curious to know if you have any good stories of people who were doing things traditionally using this yes, no, where they actually got to. Is this, is this a fair question to ask you? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a couple things um, that I could talk on that, Bob. First, first thing is, to your point, you're, you're totally correct in that you have to have, you know, the, the sales funnel is the sales funnel, but in order to climb up that value ladder and everything, you, you need to create, and this is one of the things I talk about creating is a, a product ladder. And so you know how Apple has been, you know, when Apple first came out, we all bought the little tiny uh, iPod Nano. Well, then the next thing we bought was the regular iPod. Then we bought the iPhone when it came out, then the iPad, then the Mac, then the Mac, you know, Pro. So they have a product ladder. And so that's what we have to do as consultants, solopreneurs, freelancers, is create a value ladder. Even if you have, pro I encourage people to, to, to fill their product ladder out, even with products they're not even currently offering, just so they have an overall map of how their business is going to work. And what that does, is it allows people to onboard with you wherever they are in the sales with a product or service that makes sense for them. So that can be a, a free lead magnet on your webpage, all the way up to your ten or $15,000 coaching packages. And, to, uh, and so having that product ladder is very valuable in that effort. And then second thing to your question, one of the people that comes to mind is a friend of ours, both uh, Lauren Davis and uh, Mike Kim, is Connie Pack. Uh, she was uh, working with me, and she was a Facebook ads consultant in Southern California, and she was having that same thing. She was so busy. She had this one client that was just taking up a lot of her time and just having a, you know, just a, you know, like how, you know, I can't keep up. I'm doing, all, I have all these clients and I go, you're in a great pr pr uh, position to use yes, no pricing. And so she had a client that was uh, really 
you know, underpaying her and was ready to let go. I said, well, don't let him go. I go, let me ask you a couple questions first. I go, first off, what type of um, revenue is your service providing them? And she said, well, my Facebook ads are generating about uh, $500,000 a year in revenue for them. I go, well, that's awesome. That's great. I go, well, how much revenue were they generating without your Facebook ads before they met you, before they engaged with you? And she said about $50,000 a year. I go, okay, well, then your value is based on uh, basically $450,000. So she was charging uh, $1,500 a month for her Facebook ad service, not, not including ad spend, but just the, the, the management of it. And I said, well, you need to position your fee closer to that, to that $450,000, have that conversation. And then, and, and, uh, you should be at least 10% of that. I mean, that's just good money on the stock market. So, so she went back to them long story short and was able to increase her rate to, uh, basically from 18, about $18,000 a year to $45,000 a year. Cause she was able to position herself closer to that, you know, uh, to her client, show them that she's, Hey, well, I'm helping you generate, you know, uh, you know, close to $450,000 a year in value here and uh, get her fees into, uh, you know, closer alignment with that. Can I ask a, a question just to interject right there? Because I know from experience that lots of people's reaction to being advised, you should go and have this conversation with your client is, but why would they pay me that when they could just employ somebody for half that money internally to do it? And I'm sure that must have been a concern Connie had. How did that conversation go? Did that conversation come up? I don't think it did. I think um, in in her case, there was this this uh, uh, business was in a business that isn't in doesn't have marketing staff or anything like that. They, I believe, they were a dentist, if I remember right. And so they they're not they're not looking to have an, a, an employee do that, you know. And and they just want to keep it uh, uh keep it out so wasn't an issue in that case and other people i've i've talked to it's the same thing but you know i think i've seen this i think i've seen this happen before where companies organizations will bring people on with the thought that they're gonna save all this money um and in, in a in a lot of cases what happens is during the great times it works out great but then they got to lay off <laughs> when it gets slow yeah. so the selling point is that hey you're not you're not committed it's on a month to month basis you've got the the uh, a super great consultant um, in that vertical that can that can manage this for you and then if if things go south like they have with covid or whatever you can you can pivot out of it whereas if you have a staff of people with benefits overhead even if you know, even if you're generating that money regularly, it still doesn't always pencil out. So you just kind of have to, you kind of have to look at the, the organization or the business and, um, and, uh, and, and make the sale that, you know, you're more lean and mean and flexible without uh, the full-time staff doing it. And as a bit of a follow-up question, knowing that Connie is friends with Lauren and Mike and you. Now this to anybody listening to think, who are these people? Well, these are people who I know are all very invested in building their personal brand. And I'm interested to know how much of an impact does this personal brand have on the perceived value for that client and their willingness to say, yeah, okay, let's go there. I'm not following you, Bob. What do you, what do you mean? What I meant was Everything has a perceived market value. Was Connie's perceived market value in the eyes of that client impacted by personal brand? 
or was she simply one of many potential vendors? Well, she had an, uh, an ongoing relationship with that particular client, and she was originally building more of a, an agency model, but most recently she's pivoted into realizing that she is just that, a, a Facebook ad, uh, I mean, uh, a personal brand uh, that that uh, you know that that's, it's really her brand. So she's recently taken ownership of that, and it, it does it does. Um, at the end of the day, whether you're building an agency or a you know corporate um, you know persona, at the end of the day, people buy from who they know, like, and trust. And the reason why these large companies have bought from me, Yum Brands, and you know Dollar General and the companies I've worked with Del Taco the reason why they buy from me is cuz they they know me I have a relationship uh, sometimes I've I've been able to get um, contracts with those uh, with other companies because people have left one company went to the other company and the relationship was there so they just naturally said hey I I know you can solve this problem I'm having right now um, I'm gonna call Paul because we have that relationship so everything's about the personal brand at the end of the day and I I encourage people to to not hide behind the corporate veil or the you know some fancy name and so forth especially if you're not planning on building a you know some type of a you know, big company, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to build a 500 person company with investors and shareholders and committees to make decisions, yeah, that's, that's a whole nother animal. But most of us that are trying to build an internet based business, you know, that that's flexible around our lifestyle and, um, it doesn't have employees or what Brian Clark calls is a seven figure small, which I just love that term <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's lean and mean. It just, you know, low mar low, low overhead, high margin business that, uh, that is really just around the person. And that's, that's what a personal brand is. And there is, there is higher value there when, when people know who they're buying from and what they're going to get as opposed to some I big think- company. I think that's kind of where I was coming from the question is I think having a a strong personal brand, it does kind of put you in a different category. There's a slightly higher perceived value in that you're coming from the expert space rather than as one of a multiple of other vendors. And I was just wondering where she was on that journey. Uh, So you, you answered that very, very clearly. Something I would like to ask about is what are the most common mistakes you see people making when they're quite early on in their consulting business um, because I think we all come to it thinking of business in very linear terms charging by the hour for the time that's actually used and that takes you so far but then you look to the left and right and there are people doing some very interesting things so what would be your advice to anybody who's fairly new into consulting how should they go around establishing that foundation pricing (laughs) well if you can do this one thing the first time someone asks you what your hourly rate is tell them you don't have one so i want you to pivot away from hourly billing 100 percent. don't go there (laughs) quit doing it abandon it get rid of it don't even let it enter your vocabulary because that will keep you in the commoditized low range um you know 
low value realm for longer than you need to. So the sooner you can pivot away from hourly billing, and what's great is once you get away from hourly billing, man, now the world opens up. Now opportunities open up, and you you move the discussion from being viewed as a person who is just being paid for a series of tasks and um, to-dos to someone who's being paid for expertise. And that's where we want to shift from. We, you know, anybody can be hired, be a hired set of hands. You know, and if you if you want to be a hired set of hands and, you know, you just be, get told what to do, you might as well just be an employee. You know, and Michael Gerber talks about it in, you know, the e-myth, you know, going to work in your business, not uh, versus um, on your business. And so same thing here. You want to be paid for expertise. You want to be paid for your knowledge and not be viewed as just a set of uh, set of hands for the for the client and once you can shift that away for your clients now they're viewing it at a higher level they're you know you know they shouldn't be telling you about you know how to implement a web page or font on a if you're a designer you know those kinds of things those should be your decisions and uh, once you're paid for that it just it just it just it just shifts everything away from 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 being paid again for time time and materials to expertise and knowledge and those are where the higher rates come from and so so you can you again shifting away from hourly helps do that and then you can start charging for value and shifting the conversation again from uh, how much how much how much time is it going to take you it's not you know people buy outcomes not time nobody cares how long it takes you nobody cares about that they want the transformation the outcomes the results at the end of the day and the sooner you can shift that conversation to that uh, from how long it takes you or what your hourly rate is the better off you'll be yeah that makes a lot of sense so i'd like to maybe flip things around a little bit and ask you i guess i'm always curious and i ask this of lots of guests but business tends to come to us in one of three main ways it either comes through inbound inquiries through our content marketing or it comes through outbound sales activities prospecting or it comes through referrals what's this sort of typical mix for you um you know in my personal brand it's definitely uh outbound it's you know getting to know people like you bob you know in this space so you know that 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 is definitely the case you know through my podcast you know podcasting is a great um medium uh, for that because people get you know listen to you in places they won't admit <laughs> as i'm sure you've experienced <laughs> um and we've all done you know we're mowing the lawn doing the dishes uh, whatever you know uh, so so in that in that in that space it's definitely more outbound and and so forth in my consulting realm you know that i've done you know, over the last 10 years, you know, it's almost all word of mouth. I don't spend any money in mm -hmm. that vertical on Facebook ads or anything because I have the three pillars of revenue built into that model, which is what I'm starting to do with my personal brand as well. But in that vertical, it's, you know, I'm 10 years ahead, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, 10 years from now with my personal brand, I, I'll be in uh, the same or better place having learned this uh, in the first round. Um, but, you know, once you once you've established yourself in that vertical, you know, you can really, you know, word of mouth in, in, is is really where a lot of that comes from, uh, as opposed to fancy Facebook ads, fancy funnels and all that stuff. But, you know, mm -hmm. I'm learning as I go here because, you know, I'm only two years into my personal brand. And that's, uh, you know, I, 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 I get some word of mouth, but it's not not to the same degree as in my other vertical. <laughs> 
And I guess something I'm really curious to know, especially people who are so clearly competent as you are, which part of your business do you struggle with the most? Um, well, which business, <laughs> you know, it, it's up to you. I mean, it, a lot of the time it's actually, it's as a person, we struggle with particular things rather than a particular unit of your business. Yeah. I, I think my biggest struggle for me being an entrepreneur and because I, I answer to myself in a lot of ways and I don't have shareholders, that's a beautiful thing that gives us the freedom, but I also find myself having to so many ideas and so many things I want to do. So you end up uh, becoming a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. Oh yeah. I want to, I want to create a membership site. Oh, I want to do an online course. Oh, I want to do a mastermind. Oh, I want to create this e-product. Oh, this is, you know, this is going to, you know, this is going to be great, you know? And so we, we find ourselves bouncing around all over the place. And, and so for me, that's and whether that's in the other vertical or this vertical, I find that's always been the case for me anyways, is I, uh, I don't know if you call it shiny object syndrome or uh, sometimes it's it's I don't want to say lack of focus because it's you're definitely focused on opportunities, which is a good thing. Uh, but you've got to stick to the execution. I think that's that's the critical thing is you you have a lot of great ideas and you want to do a lot of different things. But you've got to you got to go to you got to stick to the execution and the follow through and then uh, either go till you prove it right or till you're proved wrong. And then once that's, the, then turn it off and move on to the next thing. You know, don't just do a bunch of things, you know, willy nilly or half baked, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. No, as you were beginning the description, it did sound a lot like shiny object syndrome. <laughs> and it just shows you have a good eye if you can spot the magic. Yes. Paul, we've been talking for quite a while now, and we should probably start bringing things to a close. And I, I always try and come towards the end with the same question for everybody and that's what's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago yeah for me um bob that is definitely i i for many years hid behind the corporate veil and so for me and i think to encourage a lot of your listeners out there that may have a day job or be working for somebody else or are working for somebody else and starting a side gig and the, and the, and they do it under some fancy name or something other than a personal their personal brand i would just encourage them to reconsider and do it under their personal brand uh, because once you once you get over that you know a lot of times we think well i don't want to put it on my linkedin cuz you know the, my professional acquaintances will know what I'm doing, or I don't want to put up my own web personal brand webpage out there because everybody will see what I'm doing. Well, the reality is everybody is busy and nobody cares about you. <laughs> oh, and I don't mean that in, in, in a, in a bad way, but I mean, in a, in, I mean that in a bad way is to get over that fear. Um, you know, people, you know, I know I've worked with some people that will have two and three different verticals. And the reality is, is, you know how it is, Bob, when we're, when we have a pain and we're searching for something to you know if we have a toothache we go onto google and we search you know toothache pain well then that google will find that web page for that and it's the same thing in your expertise you can have multiple different expertise or verticals um and and when and when someone searches for that if they're searching for a facebook ads um person they're going to find connie in southern california and and, and it's going to solve that problem if she had another business that was related to how moms um you know bake healthy uh desserts for their kids under 10 
that, that's not going to come up on the search for the Facebook ads. They don't, they're not going to cross-contaminate each other. So my encouragement is, is don't get so caught up on being afraid to put out different um, verticals, different ideas, um, and, and don't hide behind names and, and, and products. Put it, put it out under your personal brand and, and come up with a cohesive uh, brand wrapped around that and, and go for it, man. Don't, don't be afraid. Just put yourself out there. People want to buy from you and your, your story, your expertise, your background um and uh you know and, and put it out there and serve people well and and be honest and and do a good job and, and it'll come back to you and, and you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised as i have been and as i have been and tell us about your podcast really quickly yeah it's uh, it's called a podcast i mean it's called podcast it's called <laughs> pricing is positioning it's on itunes spotify and all those great things and it's i've got great guests from ron baker to uh blair ends i got chris doe coming on pretty soon so i got some great um, guests mike kim's been on there lauren davis uh i'll probably talk to you bob about you coming on there so uh want to have uh, great guests that are in this uh vertical but it, it's definitely around pricing and positioning and business and so you can subscribe to it um, love to have you join me on there and and uh, great great I got an episode on I think it's around episode uh, seven or eight which is about uh, yes no pricing which we just talked about so that's uh, there's some great episodes on these types of top topics that could really help you out yeah if you like this one you'll like that one and you can't listen to this podcast every day unfortunately Paul, if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? And I know you have a webinar, so you should also just mention that. Yeah, yeah. The best way to connect, you can find all this, everything, is go to paulkline.net. It's like Calvin Klein, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's K-L-E-I-N, spelled just like Calvin Klein, but it's Paul kline.net uh, and uh, on there is uh, uh, we got a pricing quiz the podcast and everything and then if you want to uh, check out the webinar I got a great tra training called rock your pricing Bob we didn't talk about it but back in the 80s I played in a hair band I had long hair it looked like the guys from Poison and Motley Crue and all that although I was the responsible one I was the one that was known as the business guy I was the guy that was like managing our band while the other guys were crazy and acting out but uh, anyway it's called rock your pricing three pricing strategies you can implement today to increase your rates and the uh, fees you charge uh, you um, you can go through it in about an hour it's a great training it's free and uh, that's at paulkline.net forward slash webinar so it's a free webinar training that you can um, you can get on uh, at any time and love to see you there and uh, help you out and talk about a lot of the things we just talked about today options anchoring um uh, not billing by the hour. All those things are covered in that webinar. Everyone loves money. Paul Klein, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for coming. Uh, and yeah, I really look forward to meeting you someday and hopefully speak to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. And I want to thank Lauren Davis. Uh, she's got a great podcast called, uh, oh, it's the business. It's the business, business event playbook. Business event playbook. I always botch that, but it's a great, uh, great podcast. So thank you, Lauren, for introducing me to Bob. And Bob, thank you for uh, inviting me uh, to uh, serve your audience. And I hope I uh, provided some value to them and uh, you as well. So much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Niching, niching, and specialization are different for everyone, and it can often be a difficult process. At the same time, understanding and honing your value and then connecting it with the people who need it most is another big journey. 
But like anything hard, it starts with the first steps. It starts with evolution and not revolution. If you're already on this road, then hopefully today's episode helped you a little further along. And if this is all new to you, then my advice is just to take a step, any step. Before I go, just a quick reminder again to subscribe. And if you haven't already, join our Facebook group. You can find the link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. I would love for you to connect with me on social media. You can follow me everywhere you hang out at Bob Gentle. And if you do message me, let me know and I'll follow you back. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me, and it's one of the best ways to tell iTunes this podcast matters and to share it with more people. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Paul for giving us his time this week and to you for listening. And see you next week. <laughs>